You are listening to the WPPI Podcast, and I am your host, Elena S. Blair. I am a Seattle-based family and newborn photographer, and I've been in the biz for 13 years. I attended my first WPPI conference 11 years ago, and I can say without a doubt that it changed my art, my business, and my life. I wholeheartedly believe in community over competition and know that I grew my community because of WPPI. We are going to bring you real conversations with industry experts to share their journey, passion, and knowledge with you. And of course, to share their WPPI story. Thank you so much for being here. Let's dive in. I am super excited to have what I know will be an amazing conversation with Natalie Frank. And if you don't know who she is, I'll just tell you how I remember uh, learning about her. She was still a wedding photographer in our industry, and she was basically the spokesperson for something that is so near and dear to my heart, and that is the community over competition model. And I think that that's why I became such a fan, because I knew that this was something that she believed in and stood behind with such authenticity and in such a sincere way. But that's just a little tiny part of the amazingness that this guest is. She is an author. She is finishing up or about to launch her second book, a multi-passionate creative. She really is I would say cheerleader for small business owners in general, but small business owners who are photographers as well, because I think she can really relate because she used to be a photographer. So welcome to the WPPI podcast, Natalie. I'm so excited to have you as a guest today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) I'm, I'm thinking that the first time I heard of you was through HoneyBook, and I know you were still a wedding photographer. You were vlogging. You were uh, one of the first people that I ever that I ever watched a vlog oh for. Gosh. I was like, "It's a vlog." I've never even heard that word before, and I did remember that. Oh, remember yes. those days, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I was totally captivated by you because you are such a real person, and I like you know not everyone comes across that way on video and you definitely did. But how about can you tell us a little bit about your photography journey first and then we'll get into this other really awesome piece of your Absolutely. story. Yeah. So my photography journey started very early. I mean, in retrospect, I guess some people maybe started even earlier, but I was in high school. I was kind of halfway through high school and I was struggling a lot. I was really struggling with my mental health. I was really struggling to kind of find my place in the world. And my mom ended up giving me a camera and hoping that it would be a gateway for me to both express myself and connect with others. And she accomplished those two goals in handing me that camera, but she also opened a door to an entirely new world that changed the course of my entire life. By my senior year of high school, I had really started to master the actual creation of the photograph, understanding, you know, how to create an image, shooting fully manually, experimenting a little bit with artificial light, and just, you know, I I was in high school and I was loving every second of being curious and uncovering photography. And so my friends started to ask if I could photograph them, and it quickly became a senior portrait business very, very rapidly. I was a senior photographing other seniors in high school. And I realized that this was exactly what I was built to do. Be a business owner and be a creative at the same time. Be able to turn a passion and kind of a a talent into a profit. I loved every different aspect of it. 
And so at that point, I think, you know, my original vision of what my life would look like started to shift further and further away from this like traditional career path, nine to five style corporate life to, you know, a giant exciting question mark of possibilities. And I went through college, I continued photographing, although I shifted from, you know, doing portraits to actually doing weddings and built quite a significant and successful wedding photography business throughout my four years in college. By the time I graduated my senior year from Penn, I stepped right into, you know, a multi six figure business with just under 40 weddings under my belt annually, which was way too much, by the way. We can get into that another time. Yeah. This is like pre AI <laughs> supporting your culling process, pre like we're talking about another era in photography. Very, very long ago. I won't date myself too much, but you know, I went full-time into that business and I, I continued to grow it. And my foundational understanding of being an independent business owner comes from being a wedding photographer. You know, I, I absolutely loved running that business for almost a decade and just... Wait, but hold on. I want to get a, like one little clarifying question. So you did do an undergraduate degree while running this business or did you take time? Sorry if I missed that. Did you take time off to go to college? So... Your first assessment was correct. So I, (laughs) and a little additional context, I was raised by a single mom. So for me, photographing weddings on the weekend wasn't for fun. And it wasn't just a side project that was great for my resume. I needed money. I needed to help pay for school. I was taking on the cost of my education primarily by myself, uh, including the loans that I I took on. So, you know, I I went to um, UPenn for undergrad. It's, you know, an incredible school. And I studied visual studies with a focus in neuroscience and psychology of seeing. So I studied not just the art of, of, you know, the visual world, but I actually studied how we see the brain and ultimately understanding the visual cortex and what goes into a single photon of light hitting our retina all the way through the way that our psychology shapes what we perceive the world to be. That's what I studied in undergrad. Well, wow. Photograph weddings (laughs) almost every weekend, like genuinely almost every weekend I would, you know, finish up my Friday class. Eventually when I got into senior year, junior year, I didn't have to take classes on Fridays. I could shift things around a little bit, but would finish my Friday class, would, you know, head to the train station in Philly, hop on the train, take it back to Baltimore, photograph on Saturday, often photograph engagements then on Sunday, take that train back up first thing Monday morning to make it to my 9 a.m. class. And I did that all throughout college, um, all throughout my time. So I was running. And and again, like I I feel weird even saying, oh, I went full-time after I graduated because frankly, I was shooting what most photographers consider a full-time schedule. Definitely the last three years, but perhaps the the all four. You know, you mentioned that your mother was a single mom Mm -hmm. and I've been a single mom before. No, I'm not anymore. But I maybe I'm wrong, but I think you were mentioning it because you say that that was, you know, you needed the money. But I think also when you were raised by a single mom, you've seen somebody work their butt off. Like, you know what hard work looks like and it doesn't scare you. Mm -hmm. And I've, I I think that that's so cool, you know, that if she doesn't know that she gave you that, I bet she did. (laughs) I gush, I gush about her a lot. My mom is incredible and you're absolutely right. Getting to watch her just navigate life both as an incredible professional and as an amazing mother and do both imperfectly yet perfectly. Like she just watching her journey and raising my sister and I, it was just the three of us, three girls in our house. I 
can absolutely see how it, it impacted me and shaped me. Even now, you know, as, as someone that balances both having a job and a business and being a parent to two little kids, like I want my children, both of them, and especially my daughter to see, you know, what is possible for her. Because for me, my mom really modeled that, you know, what was possible. And you're 100% right. Ma- I mean, single mom, single parents. Oh, gosh. I mean, just... Yeah. It's a little like society. I think once you've done it, you you know the <laughs> what it's like to just really feel like you had to, you know, carry the weight of it all. But I do think, though, that what you're showing your kids and is that that work ethic. And I, I just love that you said that. So I wanted to touch on it. Sorry, losing, getting off subject, but just thought it was such a, such a relatable point, I think, to a lot of people. All right, but continue your story because it's pretty awesome. So you're working your butt off doing yes. weddings, a full load, basically, of weddings mm-hmm. and also going to college. Yes. So when you finished college, you, you went straight full up to photography. You didn't like go to some corporate job or anything like that. Correct. Yeah, I took okay. I took that photography business and I dove in 110% and I loved it, but I also found it to be so deeply isolating. And this is where community comes into my story. So, you know, I was hitting all of the success metrics that I had set for myself. I was doing just under a quarter million in revenue as an individual photographer, had built a very profitable business. I had, you know, a great team around me. I loved it. I was doing all the things I had dreamt of doing. And yet... And yet, I was lonely. I felt so unbelievably alone. I felt so isolated. I was struggling with comparison. I was fulfilled in a professional sense, but then there was this huge chunk of my life where I was just longing for connection in the chaos. I was missing community. And at that time and in that moment, you know, the world has changed a lot. I mean, truly, in the last eight years, our industry has shifted dramatically. And back then, you know, you didn't really support other photographers. There was a sense of, well, you know, they're my competition, so I'm not telling them anything. You know, I'm not telling them anything. I'm not sharing secrets. There was a ton of price secrecy. There was a lot of like, just again, and not that that doesn't exist today. It does, but it was different. And I think I realized, you know, amidst having a lot of career success that that didn't matter. At the end of the day, it didn't matter how much money I made. It didn't matter how many clients I booked. It didn't matter how many great reviews I had on the internet. If I was miserable, if I cried because I felt alone, if I felt overwhelmed every single day, you know, I remember like waking up in the morning and sitting in front of my laptop, opening the blinds in my tiny little office. And it felt like I would just look up hours later and it was pitch black and dark. And the only thing I had stared at that entire day was that computer screen. And that computer screen both served as a gateway to the world, as a vehicle for me to build that business, but it was also the very thing that was destroying me. And so I realized that I had to change, that it was that it was something I needed to do personally, or this entire business was going to kill me. You know, the thing I had fallen in love with was going to be the thing to destroy me. And so I just started talking about it. That's how simple it was. And looking back, it almost sounds silly to say it that way, but I just started talking about it. I just started sharing about how lonely I felt. I started talking about it on Instagram. I started sharing about it, you know, at a dinner table with friends of mine. And from those conversations, you know, this concept of 
a rising tide lifts all boats, the rising tide society, community over competition. It was born. It wasn't my original idea by any means. It was one that really was born of our collective community, of the photography industry, you know, acknowledging that there could be a better way to do things. And so I really made that my personal goal and my mantra to bring that phrase, bring that concept to the world to make sure that in the future, if you are to start an independent business, you don't have to go at it alone. You don't have to fear your competition. You can see one another as you know support systems, as true community, as a part of the same ecosystem, and acknowledge that you know when we are willing to do life together, we all do better. When we are willing to do business together, we all do better. And so that is sort of where things pivoted from, you know, being a photographer full-time to being a photographer and having this community building aspect on the side to eventually, you know, saying goodbye to my photography business and going into full-time community building that has led to things like writing my books, Built to Belong, and now Gutsy that's coming out in August and a lot of other, you know, valleys and you know, mountaintops, like the highs and the lows um, that came along with all of that. Ah, beautiful. You're speaking my language. I always say that community over competition is a business model for me. It's like yes. there are there are still people who hold all their information close to their chest. And I just feel like the way that I see it is that holding onto it is actually a weight that is going to make you sink because mm. you you will not receive the abundance that's, that is, you know, uh, circulating and that you could access if you're being like so worried about, you know, competition and your competition being your problem. And, you know, we could go on and on about that, but I love, love, love everything that you just said. All right. So tell me about how now um, you are basically a full-time community builder. You work for the company HoneyBook, if anyone isn't aware, and explain that role a little bit, because it's really fun to watch you, you know, your presence, your very presence makes people want to belong and be part of a community. So tell me about how you've made this into a career now. Well, first, thanks for saying that. I mean, that's my hope. My goal is to cultivate spaces where people truly can belong. And that means show up as their authentic selves and feel safe in that. I feel like I have the best job in the world for the best company in the world. And I don't just say that because I work at HoneyBook. I believe that. My job is to be a mama bear for independent business. I am an advocate and I am a champion and I get paid to fight for our community. HoneyBook is a client flow management platform that essentially enables business owners to run all of their operations, their systems, their workflows, and provide that really extraordinary client experience. And so my role is to ensure that more people are able to start independent businesses, that they understand that there can be a better way to run their business. I like to say, like, I'm fighting against the understanding that that time, you know, is our most precious resource. I need everyone to know that. I need everyone to understand that, you know, time as a business owner is the currency you never get back. You can always make mm-hmm. more money. You will never get back more time and we need to think about it differently. So my job isn't to sell the platform. It's not even to, you know, convince you to subscribe to HoneyBook. It's actually to help you understand that there's a better way to run your business, to help all business owners to understand that because I know firsthand what it feels like to be burnt out again by the very thing I once loved doing. And so, yeah. um I get to, you know, work every day in the tech space and help create solutions for independent business owners' problems and then be this this advocate. And that takes a lot of different shapes. I 
create a lot of content on social media. I, you know, have a podcast that's launching where we're going to be talking about such a wide range of subjects. I am hoping to start doing more advocacy and lobbying on the federal and state level for different types of issues that business owners deal with and struggle with. I'm, you know, supporting our team as we create statistically significant surveys to help understand what business owners need so we can then take that data to our legislators and communicate around things like healthcare and parental leave and affordable childcare. And I could keep going. But wow, that is so my, cool. that's the dream for me. Like the dream for me would be one day I look back and I truly made it easier for anyone to start an independent business and to succeed at doing it. And that means, you know, changing our world from being a place where you really only had access to entrepreneurship if you come from a particular position of privilege or you come with a family knowledge or expertise around building a business. And, you know, like all of those kind of gates that are kept. And like you said, the knowledge kept close to the chest that people won't be willing to share or the funding that isn't, you know, resourced appropriately to all business owners Things like that. I, I want to see that change because I really believe that our world is made better when more people have the ability to start businesses and they have the ability to turn their creativity into something profitable. Our communities are better, right? Our, our It's just, I could go on and on and gush about it and I, I won't do too much of that, but that's my role today. And then also sort of where I'm trying to lead with my career overall, the hopes that I have for what I can do in this world. Ugh. You're so inspiring, Natalie. Jeesh. I'm like, wow. That, I just love that you're thinking about it. You know, a small business really can change a community and and small business owners or independent business owners really do need to be supported. And I didn't, I would never even have thought of these things that you just said, like needing to go to, uh, you know, get the legislator and legislative uh, level involved for childcare, for benefits, all of that, that I remember scrapping through that, by the way, like figuring out how to get my own insurance and all of those things. And I didn't, even, I, it's so cool that you're thinking about helping the independent community in, at large. It's such an inspiring role that you have. Okay. Well, tell me a little bit about your books because I think that being an author <laughs> is something that a lot of, you know, people who are listening might aspire to if, as photographers you know, are writing books right and left these days, which is really awesome. So tell me a little bit about that process. Cause I know it's kind of like birthing a child, right? Writing a book. <laughs> and I did both at the same time. Um, oh, boy. literally my daughter was born four weeks after my first book hit shelves. So that was, um, a real, and again, not really planned that way. We, we did IVF and we just didn't know if we were going to be able to have another child at all. And so I did at that point was like, I don't care when this baby comes. And I know there are a lot of photographers that can relate to family planning and trying to family plan around, you know, seasonality and also a lot that have navigated infertility or loss and know that, you know, yet yeah, sometimes you just will welcome the miracle whenever. And, you know, mm -hmm. that was my case here. We did IVF and we finally had some success and it aligned with my book launch. And I was just hoping that uh, she wasn't born on the day of the book launch. Thankfully, you know, she was born four weeks later and that was, um, <laughs> that was, uh, that was still a lot to go through. But yes. yes, first I would say to anyone who is interested in writing a book, do it. Absolutely do it. It is hard. It is grueling. It is one of the most challenging things I have ever done in my life or career. And yet, it's also so deeply meaningful. Uh, my first book, Built to Belong, is all about the power of community over competition. So that subject that we've been talking about, I basically decided I need to make needed to make a case 
for this concept. I needed to challenge kind of the ideologies of why it doesn't work and demonstrate why it does and then make it applicable to everyone, not just business owners, but you know anyone in their daily life to kind of embrace this mindset. You don't have to see other people as your competition. There's another way to go about this. But also, there's some cool science in there about competition, about the brain, about competition. Again, I don't villainize it. Competition's not bad, friends. It's just you have to have healthy competition, not unhealthy. So we get into it and build to belong. And that um, is my first book. And then my second is Gutsy. And Gutsy is a wild card. Gutsy is a little more than a jalapeno than a bell pepper, okay? It's like a habanero, right? <laughs> We're not talking like something sweet. It's a little more spicy than I normally write. It's a little more honest, but rightfully so. I basically wrote a book about overcoming the fear of what other people think of you. And I wrote it on that subject in particular because I had a realization, when, especially you know in the last couple of years, but I had a realization right before kind of outlining what this book was going to be about, that we often believe that, especially in the business world, the reason people don't reach their dreams is because they fail. But I realize that most of the people who don't reach their dreams don't reach it because they never got started in the first place, because they counted themselves out from the start, Mm -hmm. because they listened to the voices beyond them rather than listening, listening and trusting the voice within them. Right? They cared more about other people's opinions than they cared about their opinion of themselves. And so they are held back by that. And I realize I've done it numerous times in my own life where I had a dream to go after something, but I worried about what other people might think. Or you know, I wanted to do something as simple as make a reel, post on TikTok. And I thought, oh gosh, I'm going to look like an idiot. And you know, asking why, 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 and always getting back down to the fact that you know these fears were rooted sort of in external judgment and perception. And so I wrote a book on understanding the science of that, understanding that our brains are wired that way, that, you know, if anyone's ever told you, ah, just stop worrying about what other people think, you can't. You actually can't. It's a feature, not a bug. But you can choose to move forward with courage anyway. So that's that's book two. But both are, you know, written for anyone, but with this like deeply entrepreneurial understanding that kind of flows through them. So if you pick it up or any photographer listening picks it up, you're going to see things in the book that maybe someone who doesn't run a business wouldn't see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are those. And are I think you know you're touching to the point that a lot of people think that fear of failure is part of the reason that they don't succeed. But I think it's fear of success too. A lot of people are want, they're worried about what is that going to mean for me? Do I have the time? Do I want to leave my kids? You know, three days a week to get whatever that you know. We all have our own list of of limiting beliefs. But I can't wait for it to come out. When does it release? So it releases August fifteenth of this oh, year. No. And we do Amazing. touch on the the fear of uh, success as well in Gutsy awesome. and self-sabotage being kind of something that, that's an outcome of that. And a lot of us don't even realize we do that. We don't even realize we self-sabotage to prevent ourselves from success. But we talk about all of that too in the book. So very relevant. This is a podcast, so people can't see what I'm looking at, but I'm looking at the website right now that you have your um, book title website. It's so cute. Like I love this like neon light vibe. I cannot wait to read it. (laughs) So if you haven't checked it out yet, go to Natalie Frank's website and go to the book, the book tab, because it's like super exciting. I just am so proud of you. How cool that you've written two books now. You must feel so proud of yourself. Oh, well, I would say to anyone again out there that wants to do this, do it. It, it. Again, it's like one of those things where I think we're waiting for permission. A lot of us are just waiting for someone to tell us that we are ready or able to write a book. We're ready or able to do anything right in this business. And no one's going to tell you that. Nobody's going to come and tell you that 
you know what? I think, I think you could actually do that. You have to be the one to do it. So, you know, I, whether it's a traditional publishing deal, I I did that for both of my books or indie publishing phenomenal. We live in a world where you can do that, especially with your photography skills. If you have, you know, the basic business understanding and you know, you know, how to do anything from crafting a blog post to writing an Instagram caption, I'm telling you right now, you could write a book you could do it. So I love your positivity because I feel like a lot of people that I know who have written books, they lead with the horror stories. <laughs> Just kind of like when you ask someone about like birth, birth, they want to, <laughs> yes, which is, I am like a natural home birther. I'm one of those. I'm, I live in Seattle. It's not really that surprising, but I, but I always say, you know, don't, when you're, when you're pregnant, like don't go out and get the horror stories. Like there's actually right. really positive stories too. But I, anyway, I think it's funny that I keep bringing up the birth part, but that's, you're the first person I think that said, do it. Yeah, which I love for our listeners because I think a lot of people want to lead with the horror stories. And yeah, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to spend a lot of your energy and time doing it, but look at the reward. It's like, mm-hmm. you've got this amazing, you know, this amazing thing to be so proud of. That's very cool. All right, Natalie. Well, I want to shift gears back to the conference that we're talking about here that we will both be at next week, WPPI. And tell me a little bit about your story with that. Have you, you've been to the conference, I'm assuming? A lot. Yes. Many, many, many times. Good. Me too. I think it's kind of an addiction. Once you start, you can't stop. But tell me about your story about WPPI, when you first went and why, and how did it help you get to where you are today? Oh gosh. I mean, I started going to WPPI. I I mean, I'm going to date myself if I say how long ago. I mean, it was... I mean, we're talking a decade plus, maybe a decade ago. I, I mean, it, it very, very, very long time ago. And it was the first big conference I ever went to in the photography world, or frankly, in any business space. And I was just immediately just consumed by the enthusiasm and empowerment that comes from realizing, wow, I'm not alone in this. Like this dream of having a photography business, other people also share this dream. And not only did they share it, but they've had success with it. Whether it's someone that can speak to the creative aspects of photography, or someone that's more knowledgeable in, you know, the equipment and the tech, like the the tech behind building the business, to, you know, just like motivational mindset encouragement, the psychology of that winning mindset, or whatever it is, there is just such a wealth of knowledge that you can gain access to at WPPI, which I loved as like a nerd. You know, the nerdy side of me loved that. Mm-hmm. But, but the community building side of me, I think, is the one that kept going back. Because even as I learned more and more about photography, I just found myself, you know, surrounded by other photographers every time that I went that I had never met in real life before, that maybe I followed online or I even, you know, put on a pedestal and kind of idolized a little bit. And just to be able to meet them in person and hug them and realize, wait, hold on they're a real human being and they're really nice and they're very friendly. And that transformed, I think, my own understanding of what was possible for me, you know, like seeing the the scale of what could be. And I, I just think back to so many people that I met and connected with through WPPI, Kenny Kim being one of them, you know, I mean, we're going way back, but like Caitlin James and uh, Mary Marantz and I really bonded at WPPI year year after year after year, more and more people. And, you know, this year I can't wait to catch up with my friend Michelle Harris and I could go on and on, like see you, give you a hug. Yeah. It's, it's an opportunity, I think, to become a part of something bigger than yourself, to stop feeling like I'm a photographer out here coasting on an island 
and actually lean into the power of relationships and learn, right? So mm-hmm. I, I have gone so many years, I can't even tally it up. I, can't, I truly can't. But I can tell you, I keep coming back because of the community. And I keep coming back because there is always something new to learn. It doesn't matter how many years you've been in business. Even if you think you have the business foundation set, great. The way that AI is impacting our industry, you need to hear about. I mean, I'm I'm teaching on client flow and I'm teaching things that, you know, we just got data. We just ran a massive survey with Harris Poll that I'm bringing to the table. You know, in my talk, I'm yeah. actively editing it. Like, you're going to get relevant information from photographers that aren't, you know, people who built their business 20 years ago, but are building their business today and educators that are living in this space today. So the relevancy, regardless of your fundamental entrepreneurial or artistic knowledge, is just top-notch. And um, I, I'm a speaker and I'm going to be sitting in on sessions to learn. Like I'm bringing well, a new oh, yeah. I can't wait to just soak up, soak up all the wisdom. This AI piece, I think is, I, I actually hosted a webinar yesterday about that exactly. And it's just mind-blowing what it's going to do for our industry. I mean, even my, like, I remember when I started outsourcing editing and that was to a human, that was huge. But now there's like these AI capabilities that are maybe going to go end to end, like from taking the photo to the photo being uploaded to a gallery, like without you having any input at all. I mean, of course you would maybe want to go in and check it out, but the fact that that's even like being invented and worked on right now is mind blowing. And I think that if you are listening and you know, you're wondering about some of the, making the decision to go to an event like this, like it is so valuable to see that in real life, in real time, and to be able to ask the tech experts about it, like in real life, it's, it's important to be, I think on the ground level like that. Yeah. And it's the kind of education you can't get anywhere else because the one thing I keep saying to folks is, could you sit in somebody's lecture online or in their course? Of course. But you know what you don't get? The conversations around a drink at the bar, the conversation at dinner. And like, I can't tell you how many times I have learned the most critical business information when we're leaving a seminar and there's a couple of us chatting and we go, hey, you want to, you want to go get appetizers real quick? And then we just start deep diving and the vulnerability that you get from folks, the truth, the knowledge, the sharing, it's just unmatched. So I would say Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's something so valuable to showing up, to going, to being a part of it. And you know, it just, it really pushed my business forward. So I highly, highly, highly recommend it to anyone who wants to take their business seriously. For sure. And, you know, getting FaceTime with people, whether it be the instructors that you want to talk with, or, you know, just friends that you've had online or friends you don't know you even need or want yet, they're they're there and you get challenged too. Like I'll, someone will say like, why are you doing it this way? Like I do it this way. And at first I'm kind of like, well, I like the way I do it. And then I hear their suggestion and I'm like, oh, that's actually a way better way to do this. I'm going to totally change what I'm doing. And that's that does not happen online. It just right. doesn't. Right. And it is just an un matched experience. Well, I'm so excited. So tell me a little bit about what you are teaching. Yes. So I'm teaching all about why you're getting ghosted, why you're getting ghosted. And we're talking about client flow. We're really digging into conversations around how you set up your business. And for anyone listening, client flow is just a way of combining two concepts. So everyone's heard of client experience and you've all heard of workflows. But the problem is we've been sort of taught to think of these things as two separate parts of the business. So the client experience is over here and people think gifting, they think surprise and delight. And then they go, oh, but the workflows are back here. They're hidden, right? 
Client flow is understanding that both the front and back office of your business are seamlessly integrated and they influence one another. And so we think about them as a holistic part of the process. So when you're dealing with sort of that first portion of the business experience and the client flow, everything from research and discovery that your client's going to do to find you, all the way through, you know, how that first touch experience works for them, the questionnaire process, if you have one, payment, reducing the psychological pain of payment. I talk a lot about that through contracts, you name it. You know, you have so much power to really provide a, an exceptional experience. And so many people don't do that or don't realize that they're not doing that. Haven't even taken the time to kind of map out their entire client journey to uncover where the friction lies or where they might be dropping the ball. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that at WPPI. We're going to get into it. We're going to kind of, you know, lean into to some of those conversations that folks don't often have and don't even realize it's keeping them from really landing their dream clients in the first place. So I'm excited to be able to have that conversation and I'm an open book at all times. So if you catch me at WPPI, please don't hesitate to ask any specific questions to your business. If I can help you, I absolutely Absolutely will. And I teach a group coaching program and we talk about that, the client journey a lot, because what's funny is that a lot of people will think that the reason they're getting ghosted or the reason that a client isn't converting, so maybe they are seeing people come to that, you know, contact page or whatever, but they're not becoming clients or is that their their competition. They're worried about their competition. Oh, it must be because my competition is cheaper than me or they think it's about their pricing. And it's like, no, it's not about that at all. It's about that client journey, the client experience of what an important talk. I'm so excited. I'm going to try to pop into your talk. Hopefully it's not at the same time as one of mine. I know. I hope we're not at the same time. But one thing can I say (laughs) to that real quick? I think what I'm hearing, because I hear the same thing. I hear a lot of fear around competition and I often hear Mm -hmm. a lot of insecurity around pricing. And I just, you know, if anyone's listening to this, go research the number one reason why small businesses fail because it's not competition. It's cash it's flow. It's literally, it's like, it's cash flow. Cash flow and maintaining cash and understanding your numbers and understanding the logistics of your business. It's not because a competitor, like, I mean, it happens. Of course it happens, but it's not the number one reason. And so I say that to say, your competitors aren't what's stealing your business. And honestly, you're probably not charging enough if you're listening to this, especially... Mm-hmm. I'm calling out all my women who are photographers. I'm calling you in. You're probably not charging enough. We ran an incredible survey several years ago, and I want us to redo it. We analyzed 200,000 invoices, and most of those actually were with photographers, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. And we found that women who had the same experience in the same area were charging less than their male counterparts for the exact same services. They just weren't not surprising. That's the same in every industry. (laughs) And we saw it in every industry and they all varied. Some were, you know, more severe uh, gaps than others. But I say that just to say, you know, if you're sitting there going, oh, it's because I'm too expensive, you know, you actually can charge too little and we won't get into that. But like, if you're not charging enough, it actually signifies, you know, something to the client. And I've got so much to say on all that, but all all that wraps into client flow. That's all a part of that experience and how they're Mm -hmm. perceiving your brand and your business. And so, yes, it's so, it is so critically important. Every single touch point that you have. Yep. Got, you are speaking my language, Natalie. We are, we got to, we got to have that drink at WPPI because it's like we talk about a lot of the same things, which is amazing. Well, I want to ask you a few questions just to sort of, I feel like I could talk to you all day and that this is going to be the most, people are going to be so excited to hear this interview, but let's kind of round this out with four final questions. Awesome. So I want to know what is something that you can't live without in your business? And I know that you aren't a photographer anymore, but business is business. So what's one thing you cannot live without? 
Am I allowed to give you two or do I? Yeah. Have yeah, you can. One? Okay. Okay. Go Ooh, I love when rules can bend for me. Um, <laughs> I'm all about okay. bending rules. <laughs> the first is audible audiobooks. And the reason I say that is because I am busy. I am so busy with the kids and so much of my life beyond my actual business is spent with something else in my hands, normally a baby, right? Normally a toddler (laughs) um, or me chasing after one. And so I am a big believer in listening and absorbing as much content and education as I can. I will never become too educated. I will never outgrow my need to learn from other people. So you know, it seems very simple, but I would say your ability to kind of learn, right? And so for me, that's audible. It's having access to audiobooks. Again, it sounds simple, but I'm telling you a lot of folks, you know, aren't doing that, aren't investing in themselves. And that's the mm. biggest thing you should be investing in is you, you. So whatever that looks like for you, however you learn, do it. Um, for me, it's it's audible. And then, you know, the second thing I absolutely cannot live without, and I, I'm not just saying this because I work at HoneyBook. I really believe this, and it could be any any sort of platform, but in my business, it is automations. I could not live in my business without automations and technology that take the work off of my plate that I should not be doing. The moment I changed my mindset from, I need to control everything and, and be in charge of everything. And I was asking all of those what and how questions, like my friend Ellen Yin, she's amazing, but she always says, you know, when you first start, you're asking what and how, how do I do it? What do I need? And then as you actually become a CEO in your business and you start acting like a CEO in your business, you start asking different questions like, who? Who can do this for me? Or in the case mm-hmm. of technology, how can I get this off of my plate so I'm not handling the what and the how anymore? And so I would say automations, technology, really kind of differentiating what I need to do in my business and only what I need to do in my business versus the things that I can you know, have technology do for me. And that I could not live without. I can't go back to the days when I didn't have all of that. I don't think I'd be a small business owner. Honestly, I would never go back to that season of my life Ugh, um, I know. before, you know, all that, the technology helped me. So I know. And it was, I've also been, I've been in business for like, I guess, 13 years now and seeing that it wasn't available. No, <laughs> We didn't have all of the stuff that we have now. It's a great time to be a small business owner, actually. It's a great time. All right. So what would you say to someone who is just starting their journey as, and I'll say as an entrepreneur, because those of you who are listening, hey, photographer, you are now an entrepreneur. So what would you say to someone who's just starting? Like what little nugget of advice do you want to give? Easy. Reframe your relationship with failure. Make failure your best friend. Embrace the fact that you are going to fail. You're going to fail publicly. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to look like a fool. Embrace it because the moment you embrace it, a lot of things start to change. One, you anticipate what will go wrong. Okay. So that's the first thing. And especially as a photographer, especially if you work, you know, in a space where things can't be rephotographed, you know, that means that you're going to expect failure in the sense of preparing your business from a backup standpoint, from how you, you know, dual card slot, just down to like the minutia of operations. You don't expect things to go perfectly. You say, failure is going to happen. How can I prepare myself to it? And that's more on the tactical side. But when you reframe your relationship with failure, you also open yourself up to the possibility of success in a really meaningful way because success is ultimately just failing enough times. Like that's what it is. It's not getting it right. It's getting it wrong so many times that you eventually get it right. And so I think when you uncover that as kind of a new path forward, it sets you up to do really extraordinary things as a business owner, but it also ensures that you see your journey as something that is infinite and not so finite. And for me, you know, that looked like even leaving photography as a full-time job. I didn't, I, I, and I don't consider that a failure. I literally 
kind of built a business that led me to my next thing, that led me to my next thing, and I'm still not done. I have no idea what's in my future. But I don't see, you know, one kind of shift or pivot or change as failure. I see it as kind of a journey towards success. And so whether it's in small ways or big ones, reframing your relationship with failure is what's truly going to take you so much further in your business. Mm. Preach, Natalie. So much good information. I'm just like, oh my gosh, no wonder you're writing books. (laughs) So obviously you are, you know, the spokesperson for community over competition. You know that that is a pivotal aspect for many people's journey when they finally find their community. Um, Tell me how you have continued to cultivate your own. Because I know that you, you know, you're cha- you have changed a little bit, you know, different industries and whatnot. So how do you continue to cultivate your own community? Oh, I love this question. I make time for people. I do things that don't scale. I, you know, pay attention to the little things whenever I can. I think relationships really are at the core. I mean, community at the end of the day, look, it's community can be built by two people. You don't need thousands of people and call it a community. No, you mm-hmm. community is when two people gather together. And I truly believe that that's really where it begins. So for me, it has looked like carving out time and space in my life to stay in touch with, you know, the people who matter most to me and always being open to new friendships and new experiences too. I you know, really love kind of embracing such a wide group of people in my immediate friend circle. I've, you know, got folks like the CEO of Flowdesk, Martha. She's the godmother of, of my son, you know, like in the, the <laughs> closest of closest friends that I have. And her co-founder, Rebecca, and I just chatted on the phone this morning. Um, she's the head of product over at Flowdesk. I've got, you know, my my best friend, Jess, who I met through a food truck. She sent me a DM on Instagram one day. I never had met this woman in my life. And she was like, hey, my husband is a small business owner. You like small business. He opened a food truck. You should go. And I was like, "Wow, great. I love food. I will be there. (laughs) And so I went. And that sparked the most meaningful friendship I think I've ever had in my life. And her and I have become best friends. And we went through pregnancies together. And we talk and text daily. And so I say all that to say, you know, she's not a business owner herself yet. She's married to one. Some of my friends are business owners and a lot of them aren't. And so I think for me, it's just cultivating community with people who share my values, with people who love others well, with people who are willing to be open-minded and learn and grow. Because for me, that's really at the core of it. I, I love being surrounded by people that challenge me. I love being being surrounded by people that don't have an ego, that really care about the things they say they care about, that walk the walk, they don't just talk the talk. And so those values are important. But making the time for people is really, I think, the biggest thing because life will always be busy. You know, it will always be busy. But um, when when something matters to us, we prioritize it. And so community, if it matters to you, you you have to prioritize it. Ah, beautiful. Such a beautiful answer to that question. You mentioned that you went through pregnancies with somebody. I think when you become a parent too, you've got, it's another community you got to find because you need people who are in it with you. (laughs) Just like, just like when you're building that business. All right. Finally, and I think we've sort of touched on this, of course, you were here and there over the last hour or so, but why should somebody come to WPPI? And, you know, a lot of people are on the fence about attending conferences, especially ones that feel big and scary like WPPI. So why should somebody come? What would you tell them? I would tell them you deserve to come. What I would Mm. tell them is you should come to WPPI because you deserve to bet on yourself. You deserve to believe enough 
in your ability to succeed in business that you will welcome the knowledge and the community and the fun that you would get from coming to an event like that. Because I could sit here and list things that we've talked about, community, great seminars, parties, all the things. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are sitting back and feeling like, I just, I don't know that I belong there. I don't know mm-hmm. that I, you know, if this, is this business really worth going out there for? Like, is this, is this going to be something or, you know, it, or even just getting caught up in the busyness and being like, I don't have time to dedicate to me because it's really about pouring into yourself. And I would say you do, you have to, you know, the thing that's going to make your business succeed isn't the equipment that you have. It's not, you know, the editing style that you develop. It's you. It's you. You are the magic. And so you need to go and pour into yourself and you deserve to go and pour into yourself and to have an experience unlike any other. And so I know it's probably not the typical answer for why you should go to WPPI, but I do believe in my bones that I think it's the one a lot of y'all need to hear, you know, and just bet on you, believe in you. Yes. Bet on yourself. I love that. 100%. Well, Natalie, That was an incredible conversation. It's going to be such a valuable little piece of knowledge for people to listen to. Just like you said, put those AirPods in and get your education how you can get it. Where can people find you? Where would you like people to find you right now? Absolutely. So you can find me all over the internet in all spaces, just my name, (laughs) Natalie Frank or nataliefrank.com. And then, you know, if you want to get connected about HoneyBook 2, definitely check it out, honeybook.com. If I can be of service in any way, never hesitate to shoot me that DM. I really do try to respond as best I can. And I would love to support you in your photography journey. All right. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. I can't wait to see you next week. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the WPPI podcast. We will be releasing new episodes every single Wednesday. So make sure that you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to tune in so you never miss an episode. See you soon.